to the Word of God at this time. And the thought that I had on my heart this morning, or the thought that, thought that was before us, is seeing the heavens opened. Seeing the heavens opened. There's at various points throughout Scripture where men were permitted to see holy things. And every once in a while, we are permitted to sit in holy places, aren't we? When we find ourselves in the presence of the Spirit of God, manifested in power, and we're in the, in the house rejoicing, and there are sinners seeking the Lord for the salvation of their soul. That's a, that's a joyful place to be, and also it's a sad place to be for the, those that are mourning and uh, seeking the Lord for the salvation of their soul. But we are going to start here this today, this morning, with, with an instance that we're, everybody, most people are familiar with. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And this is John the Baptist's baptism of Jesus there in the wilderness of Judea. In verse 16, it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And that's where I want to, that's the only verse I want to start with this morning, is that verse of Scripture right there. Because who is the he, or who is the him that saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove? None other than John the Baptist. If we go back and we see and we ask this question, what is necessary for us to see the heavens opened? Well, I mean, I think we see one of the requirements here with John. Now, first and foremost, you've got to be a proper candidate, don't you, for baptism. You, you, you've got to be saved. You've got to actually know the Lord in uh, in the free pardon and forgiveness of sin, and 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 certainly that 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 prerequisite is met here. Uh, as who's getting baptized is he had no sin, <laughs> uh, so his he he had no sin to be uh, to be absolved of. But nevertheless, he's setting forth a pattern for those of us that would follow, isn't he? Uh, and so Jesus has presented himself at John's baptism to be baptized. But first and foremost, John was resistant to baptizing Christ, wasn't he? Because he saw Christ, rightly so, being greater than he was. In the 14th verse, John's recorded as saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And he said that forbidding or forbidding Jesus that John should baptize him. John recognized the greatness of Christ. But Jesus' answer to him in the 15th verse said, Suffer it to be so for now. And you say, well, what does that mean? He's saying, allow it to be so for now. Allow this thing to happen. For it becometh us, for thus it becometh us. Uh, or is it fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness? And so what is baptism? Uh, it, it is 
an outward profession of faith, isn't it? It's an outward profession of an inward work that has taken place. And Jesus is saying, if, if, if you're a candidate for that, then you should present yourself for that. Now, what is it that, uh, that caused John, uh, because John obviously was uh, a prophet uh, in the vein of the Old Testament prophets. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. The law and the, and the prophets prophesied until John. Uh, and so we see here uh, that John initially is resistant at uh, baptizing Christ, but he yields to him, doesn't he? James said it this way in James chapter 4 verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. And so here is Jesus before John. And John's initial response to the request of Christ that John baptized him is, I'm not fit to baptize you. <laughs> I have need to be baptized of you. And we always have that initial response, don't we? When God asks us to do something, um, if we're sincere, most of the time, we won't feel adequate to do it, will we? Moses certainly didn't feel adequate when God called him to lead forth the children of Israel from captivity, uh, from the captivity in Egypt, and he gave uh, a myriad of reasons there uh, in the uh, uh, in the Midian uh, in the wilderness of Midian as to why he couldn't do it. But God answered every one of those reasons, didn't He? Moses had to get to the place where he was willing to let what his will was pass, wouldn't it? And Jesus himself there uh, in uh, before he died, uh, there on the top of, uh, there at the, at the Mount of Olives, uh, he's gone out and he's in prayer and the request that he makes of God, uh, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But the, the important part is what comes afterward, isn't it? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And so why did John get this great blessing uh, here at the baptism of Christ of seeing the heavens open? Well, I believe it's first and foremost is he relented to his will and he entertained the will of the Lord, didn't he? And he got this great blessing. And God had already told him, upon whom you see the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing upon him and staying upon him, uh, that he is the Christ. And so here, John gets that, gets that uh, reward, doesn't he? For this obedience that he has. And, and this, and this doing away with, uh, with what his thoughts were. Our thoughts tend to conflict with God. Have you ever noticed that? God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And whatever thought that you may have about it pertaining to God, whether it's how you think you're going to get saved, I will promise you this, God's thoughts are probably completely different than your thoughts, and they're better. <laughs> they're much better. I've heard many people testify about when they got saved. It happened completely opposite from the way that I had imagined it being saved. That's because our imaginations can get to the best of us sometimes, and that's not for the better. Imaginations are wonderful. 
And God gave us imaginations for a reason, but we can't let those imaginations override God, can we? But we do that. And so what does John get to see but the heavens open and the Spirit of God descending in the form of a dove and lighting upon Christ? And then he gets to hear the audible voice of God, doesn't he? He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so, if you want to see the heavens open, well, first and foremost, you've got to know the Lord. You've got to be saved. And then, that in and of itself is not enough, is it? You've also got to be subservient to the will of God. And I think that's what, pre- what prevents so many of us today in our, in our worship to God, in our service to God, is that while we, yes, we're willing to, to do whatever we need to do, but oftentimes we aren't getting ourselves out of the way, are we? And we actually inhibit the Spirit of God. Like the Nazarites did when Christ was in Nazareth. Uh, in Nazareth. Uh, and it says that he could do no miracles there. Now, he did a couple miracles, but the miracles that Christ did there was limited because of the lack of faith and the lack of belief that was in, in, in Nazareth. And so John had to first and foremost get himself out of the way, didn't he? And that's what you've got to do. If we want to sit in heavenly places this morning, if you're here to worship God, you need to get yourself out of the way and allow God to use you. That's where John finally got. He got to a place where God could use him. And he got to see the heavens open. Now, that's one instance where the heavens were opened. Let's say you've you've done that. You've allowed yourself to get to the place where God will use you, or where God can use you. And you go about doing the work that God's called you to do. But people are not receptive to it. That's a fairly normal thing, isn't it? In our in our walk with the Lord. He said, Marvel not that the world hates you because it hated me before it hated you. And so if we think we're going to go out and proclaim Christ and be received as some great uh, thing, then we're doing it for the wrong reasons, aren't we? Christ suffered immensely while he was in the world, uh, and, and we're going to suffer with him if we're going to walk with him. And so we look here in uh, in the Acts chapter 7, and we read about Stephen. And, and we all are familiar, and a lot of us are familiar with the story of Stephen, and, and there may be some here who isn't, 
but Stephen was a deacon. Uh, the Bible tells us that Stephen was a man who was full of faith in the Holy Ghost uh, and the Holy Spirit. And so here Stephen is, and he's preaching to his own countrymen, and they don't want to hear what Stephen has to say. And so they get down here to the end, uh, and we're looking in Acts chapter 7 and verse 56, and, and Stephen makes this statement, does he? And he says, and behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What happened before that? Well, his countrymen turned on him, didn't they? And they were threatening his life. And now most of us in that situation would tend to think in terms of uh, self-preservation, right? And doing something, saying something, uh placating somehow their anger and their aggression toward uh, toward you. Uh, but that's not what Stephen does, is it? Let's look at what he says. In verse 51, he says this. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. He's not backing down from his position, is he? That they have sinned against God and that they're enemies of God. Uh, here he says, how ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart uh, in and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Stephen is being very bold in his speech toward his those that are confronting him, isn't he? He's not playing it safe. You resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Then he asks a question. He says, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one of whom ye have been, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and the murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And so Stephen right here tells them straightly and plainly to their face uh, that you guys are uh, exactly the opposite of what you profess to be. And what did they do? They fall upon Stephen, don't they? First off, they were cut in their heart. They knew their guilt. Stephen expressed their crimes and they knew their guilt, but they didn't turn to the Lord with that guilt, did they? And ask the Lord and seek forgiveness from God as they did in Acts chapter, uh, as they did at the day of Pentecost, I believe in Acts chapter 2. Uh, they didn't turn to the Lord and seek forgiveness here. No, they gnash their teeth, don't they? And you say, well, what does that mean? That means they, gr they grind their teeth together at him and they just hated him all the more because of the things that he'd said. And and then he says that he says he's he has seen the heavens open to him and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, why is that? Well, if we go back and we read in the Old Testament, uh, 
Moses gave an exhortation to the children of Israel as they were going to go in and possess the land, right? As they were going to go in and possess the land of Canaan. Moses gave an exhortation and he said this. He said, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And then to, 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 jo- to, to Joshua, God says the very same thing, doesn't he? To Joshua, in Joshua 1, verse 6, it says, God speaking to him says, Be strong and have a good courage, Joshua. For unto this people thou shalt divide an inheritance and, the, uh, and inheritance the land, uh, which I swear unto their fathers. Why does he say be strong and have a good courage? Because they're going to speak out against you, aren't they? And I believe in the moment that Stephen, right before he was stoned, and he got the the privilege of seeing the heavens open, that was the reward for being strong and of a good courage uh, before the enemies of God, isn't it? And Stephen is the one who declared them to be the enemies of God, not me. But Stephen got to see the heavens open. It was a blessing, wasn't it? And a privilege that he got to see that. And so we see it's not just obedience and submitting yourselves to the will of God. It's also a part of being courageous and standing up for God, isn't it? See, a lot of us want the blessings, but we don't want to have to go through the toil that's required to receive the blessings. The laborers are few, aren't they, in the, in the fields? But the harvest is great. We see again in Acts chapter 10 where the heavens are open. This time it's open to Peter. And in this instance, it's not anything of the sort. But here, Peter's receiving instruction because the heavens are open to him. And he's sitting there on the top of Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. And uh, and it says the heavens were open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners was let down the earth. And wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts. Uh, and the wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And so what's in this knitted sheet or this vessel? What's in it but things that are condemned by the law? Things that are unclean are in it. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, listen to the description. And wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came to him a voice that says, Rise, kill, or, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And so Peter tells you that the animals that were in this vessel, uh, this sheet that's coming down out of heaven uh, and then is being taken up and coming down again and being taken up and then coming down a third time and being taken up, uh, those were animals that were unclean as uh, expressed by the law of Moses. And so notice how Peter's got himself apart here, doesn't he? He's alone, and he's sitting on top of the roof, and he sees this vision. 
Why would they go up in the mountain to pray? <laughs> because sometimes you just need to get away, don't you? So that it's just you and the Lord. You may study and study and study a section of Scripture. And you may call men who you may think are the most learned men of the, in the world, and they may give you an answer that's very fine, but it may not fit the specific situation that you're studying. Before you ever open the book, you should be praying the Lord that He help you and give you wisdom and guidance and instruction in studying the things of God. Why would they go to the mountain to pray? Because sometimes you need to get away, don't you? Not in the escapism sense, but sometimes you need to just be alone so that the noise of the world can fade away into the, into the background and that you can allow the things of God to come into the forefront, don't you? And so it's not only... Now, if you want to see the heavens open, it's not only the obedience and submitting yourself to God. It's not only being courageous uh, in front of those who are the enemies of God. It's also, sometimes it's also got to be getting yourself right, isn't it? Or getting yourself to a place where God can reveal hidden things to you. Because what's he revealing to Peter? He's saying, Peter... Call not thou common or unclean the things which God hath cleansed. And so he's preparing him to go to Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, and he's going to reveal to Peter that the Spirit of God has been poured out on the Gentiles too. And thus it's going to fulfill the, the, the it's going to fulfill the prophecy of the Spirit of God being poured out upon all flesh. It's going to be poured out on, on Jew and Gentile. But Peter had to get alone, didn't he? Let everything fade away. And it was just him and the Lord. And I would say while he was on top of that house, that no doubt Peter was in deep meditation, thinking about the things of God. And I think that's something that, if you want to look at our generation today, in the environment that we live in, in the rat race that is our life today, if you want to say, well, what's the biggest factor that inhibits us from living godly lives I would say that it's we're too busy. <laughs> we're too busy. We don't ever sit down, it seems like, and just contemplate and have time to contemplate. Our lives are so jam-packed. Every waking minute of the day spent running here and there. Our lives are so packed that it inhibits our walk with the Lord. And that's why God took Enoch, wouldn't it? Because he walked with God. And so Peter's meditating on the rooftop and God opens heaven and shows him 
using unclean animals. He says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. Nothing common or unclean has ever come across my lips. And God says, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common or unclean. Remember when the ark rested in the mountains of Ararat, and Noah and his family came off the ark. There was nothing that was ta- that was forbidden from them to eat, was there? All the animals that move on the earth are given to you for me. God changed his diet, didn't he? And he didn't hold anything back because they were all on the ark. And so Peter saw the heavens open because he he had time to reflect on the things of God. And God showed him what he had for him to do immediately, didn't he? So that is important that we have that we get away and we have time with just ourselves in the Lord. It's very important. And all of these are going in order. Uh, in order, you've got to be saved first before you can be baptized. But and then you, after you've been baptized, you should have submitted yourself to the Lord in baptism, and then you should be able to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth and be courageous to stand on the things of God. And then we're going to look here at one last time that somebody saw the heavens open, and it's actually two times in this book, but I'm going to use this one in Revelation chapter 19. Now, he also saw the heavens opened in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And in each instance, he saw a white horse. And so John sees the the heavens opened. And remember, where was John at? He He was walking. He was on the Lord's day in the spirit on the Lord's day, right? And so here John is. Banished on the Isle of Patmos. I would say John had plenty of time to sit and meditate and reflect on the things of God being banished on the Isle of Patmos. He probably had to find stuff to eat. But I would say he had a lot of time to sit and reflect on the things of God. And it's really no coincidence that the apostle whom Jesus loved, uh, as that's how John refers to himself in the, in the Gospel of John, he never refers to himself by name. He refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And and here Jesus reveals this great vision to him, doesn't he? You know what? Just like Peter, John was in the spirit meditating on the things of God. Now, it's a lot easier to be to have time to reflect when you're cast when you're an outcast on an island, right? But nevertheless, that's the that's the backdrop. And Peter sees what? A white horse. And him that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness doth judge and make war. And look at this vision that he sees, and his eyes were a flame of fire. That's because Christ is omniscient. John looked straight up into heaven and saw the omniscient God, didn't he? His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. 
and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture that was dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God, whom John said was made flesh in the days of Jesus Christ. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But John sees the resurrected Christ here, doesn't he? And he sees the, the blood that was shed for the sin, the remission of the sins of the whole world is present there as his vesture uh, appears that way. And his name, the Word of God. And so John saw a, a tremendous vision. And it goes on from there. Uh, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go on any further as it pertains to that, uh, other than to, other than to say uh, this. You look at these instances of Scripture. You look at the latter three, especially Stephen, but also Peter, because when Peter came back from Cornelius's house, Peter was confronted, wasn't he? Because they said, how dare you go into the house of one who's been, who was not circumcised? And then, then furthermore, we look at, uh, uh, at the instances of what's going on in John's life. Uh, and then the question could be asked, right? For those of us that are saved, uh, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Because whether we're being questioned by our brethren or whether we're outcast on an island or whether we're tied to a stake about to be stoned, in either case, we should be sure enough in our faith of, 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 of Christ and knowledgeable enough uh, in, uh, in the things that pertain to righteousness uh, that we can stand on those things without being afraid, right? 42nd Psalm asks this question repetitively, and it's repeated in the 43rd Psalm. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. That's the remedy each time, isn't it? Whenever life gets too much for us, we need to let our hope in God take over. He, he rehearses that question again in the 11th verse. He rehearses it again in the 43rd uh, chapter in the 5th verse. And then we look at this. I shall praise him for the help of his countenance. And I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance in God. And then what does he say yet again? I shall praise him who is the health of my countenance. Stephen, <laughs> right before he was stoned, I believe he radiated the light of Christ and they rejected it. I think that's very easy to see. I think he very easily radiated the light of Christ, even being threatened with his life. He challenged them, didn't he? And he preached to them judgment. And so you may be here this morning and you don't know the Lord and, the, and, and you've never been saved. There's an offer that is available to everybody in this world. Jesus said, now, is the time, now it is commanded to all men everywhere 
must do what? Believe? Well, yeah, you've got to believe. But how do you get to the place where you believe without first knowing that you're not saved? You've got to first know that, don't you? You first got to know that you're not saved. How can you be saved if you don't know that you're not saved? And so that's not possible. So you've got to first understand that you're not saved. You've got to first understand that the sins that you've committed uh, in God's sight, they are an offense to him. And as such, he will hold you to account for them. And you don't want to run into God and not have a covering for those sins. We want to see the heavens open. One day we'll see the heavens open, won't we? One day the Lord will descend with a shout. It's going to be the loudest event in all of human history. It's going to be so loud that the dead will rise first. <laughs> You want to talk about waking some people up. You can look around the world today and you can say, why is everybody walking around asleep? Well, it, don't worry. When the Lord comes back, they won't be asleep anymore because even the dead are going to be raised. And every eye will behold him. Every eye will see the heavens opened, won't they? They'll see that same vision that John saw there on the Isle of Patmos. They'll see Jesus Christ with eyes like fire and with a vesture dipped in blood. And they'll see him. And if they don't know him, it's too late. Faith is, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Seeing him won't lead you to believing. It's too late at that point. Because what has he come to do? He's come to judge. He's come to judge. And so we look at this this less this 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 subset of scripture. The things of this world. God's greater than all the things of this world. We should never get down. We should always be willing to do what God's called for us to do, regardless of what the consequences are. But if you're here today and you're lost, the very first thing you've got to do, you better get that correct. And that's why we started there. We're going to end there. We're going to end there. Because without, without that, you can learn the Bible all day long. I've, I've talked to several people who've talked to people who were atheistic or didn't believe, and, and they knew a lot about the Bible, but they didn't know the main subject of the Bible. You've got to know the main subject of the Bible, and that's Jesus Christ. That's who you've got to know. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.